when you try me with a mediocre question, that's the result you're going to get. <laughs> uh, starting left fielder. Uh, Ichiro. No! God, please, no! No! There is some potential there if he would just, I don't know, use his brain. Um, <laughs> because, especially, I mean, come on, man. Jerry Depoto's the GM. Who the hell knows? out my window and this FedEx driver just hit a tree. You are no gentleman. And neither are you. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Soto Mojo Podcast. This is Colby Patnode and I'm joined as always by Ty Gonzalez. Ty, how you doing today? Doing pretty well. Uh, excited about our uh, special guest that will be coming up in the second half of the episode. Uh, and also just ready to talk ball. It's opening week. Are you going to tell people who the special guest is or you want to... Uh, so today we are going to be joined by uh, Brian Nemhauser of Hawk Blogger. I know that sounds kind of uh, strange to uh, to our listeners because this is predominantly a Mariners podcast, and Brian is a Seahawks journalist. But uh, I think we have an interesting uh, episode planned with him, so should be fun. Yep, um, <clears throat> be interesting to get his thoughts on the Mariners, and of course we'll ask him a few. Uh few Seahawks related things as we've been known to talk about other sports on this podcast. Um, <clears throat> if you don't like it, well then I guess you can just not listen to that part of the podcast. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, sorry, that's, it's our podcast. It's free. We can do whatever <laughs> we want with it. How about that? Well. Yeah. Take that. <clears throat> so, um, on today's episode, Colby's uh, very aggressive today. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm still mad about the Angels and their their idiotic statement last week, which we didn't even talk about. Um, but uh, anyways, on today's show, we we uh, we haven't talked since opening day in Japan, um, in which the Mariners won nine to seven. So we have a, another regular season game to talk about. The 25 man has been finalized. Um, opening day uh, or opening day 2.0, I guess, for the Mariners is uh on thursday so lots to talk about before we uh before we get to talk a little baseball and football with brian so i guess we'll just dive right in and let's let's go all the way back ty to last uh what was it thursday let's go all all the way back to last thursday uh seattle mariners versus oakland a's game two of 162 um mariners win uh five to four in extra innings which was kind of a uh, really ended up being a secondary storyline, uh, thanks to the uh, not surprising announcement um, leaked during the game that Ichiro Suzuki was going to retire after the game. So, Ty, I guess we'll just start here before we actually talk about the game itself. Um, what did you think of the Ichiro sendoff? Uh, how do you think the Mariners and everybody handled that? Yeah, I think it was um, handled beautifully. Uh, you know, Ichiro really didn't have an effect on on either uh, you know on the results of either game. He did have that one opportunity. Uh, I think it was his last at bat to uh, to drive in the go ahead run, which he didn't, um, which sucked. You know, you, you kind of hope for a little bit of uh, magic there, but um, didn't happen. But uh, other than that, yeah, it really didn't have an effect on the games, um, and. Uh, it was great to, to see him uh, get that kind of send off um, really uh, classy way to, to uh, or classy way, uh, 
handling by the uh, the Mariners uh, in the way that they did that to, uh, you know, for all of them to come off the field and, and let him kind of take uh, center stage there with uh, with all the uh, uh, fans and uh, and, um, you know, the way that he came off of the field to uh, to be greeted by by his teammates and coaches and everything uh, was fantastic. Um it was just a great moment for for him, for his career, for Mariners organization, for the Mariners organization, and for baseball as a whole. Um, just a really fun um, and incredible, and you know, honestly, sad moment because even you know, for us who have not been the you know biggest fans of Ichiro being on the team for the last two years, it was an emotional time to to say goodbye to Ichiro finally you know I you know I was looking at Yusei Kikuchi who broke down in Ichiro's arms and uh I was thinking about you know Ichiro or uh, Kikuchi was one years old when when Ichiro started playing professional baseball and uh you know I think about uh you know I was five when Ichiro first joined the Mariners and uh and that got to me you know Ichiro's been a part of my life uh for the majority of my life and that was that was hard to that was a hard pill to swallow to actually come with the uh come to grips with the finality of that um and uh yeah i shed a i shed a few tears because of that that was um that was a really um emotional moment and um and yeah, I'm you know it, Ichiro is 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 going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a he was a fantastic um, player and person and within the Mariners organization. And um, yeah, he'll be missed. So uh, and you know hopefully you know he returns uh, to the Mariners organization in some capacity down the road. Uh, I know the players really enjoyed that when he was with them for the whole year last year. Um, I would love to see him be involved uh, with the organization uh, like that uh, once again. I know he lives in Seattle, but obviously he needs a you know he needs a break from from baseball yeah. for a little bit. But once he uh, once you know he gets his his well deserved rest, I, I would love to see him come back. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Um, you know, being a, a young baseball player when Ichiro first came to Seattle. Um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the kids I played little league with, they did the whole uh, pre-pitch routine and they did all the the pointing of the bat and all that fun stuff. Um, it's just never really my thing in particular. Like I never disliked Ichiro, but I wasn't a huge like massive Ichiro fan. He was never my right. favorite. Um, mm-hmm. I just found other players that I like better. Um, <clears throat> and then after he left, there was quite a bit of discussion about whether or not Ichiro was really the best teammate. Uh, I know yeah. that he was very focused on uh, himself uh, getting his, his numbers, his hits uh, to the point where he would, you know, do stupid things like lay down bunts with the, you know, tying run on second and nobody out um, to try and collect his 200 hits. And I know he rubbed a lot of teammates the wrong way doing that. Um, I know a lot of managers were, a little they were frustrated at times with that um you know there were certain uh balls in the outfield that maybe he could have gotten to if he had you know uh, laid out or something like that and he just let him bounce to try and preserve to make sure he was safe for uh, his 160 games or whatever 
so in the moment, you can certainly see why those things are frustrating. And uh, I, I think they're totally valid when you criticize Ichiro. Um, but I will say after his in his second uh, tour of duty with the Mariners, uh, it, it's it seemed like he was none of that. He was uh, he yeah. was a mentor. He was a good teammate. Um, he cared about others. He cared about the team. He was willing to, you know, play left field. You remember the fuss he threw about uh, going to center field for a couple years? Uh, you know, he wasn't very happy about that. He wanted to be a right fielder only. He wanted to bat leadoff. He never liked batting third. And, you know, in yeah. the second time around, he, he didn't care about any of that. He was a good teammate, uh, a good a good well, mentor. It was It was refreshing to see because, you know, Seattle was going to love Ichiro regardless of the second tour of duty. I get that. Um, but for me, I, I don't think I had the emotional response I did when he left the field if it wasn't for uh, really this kind of rebirth of Ichiro the person versus Ichiro the baseball player, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, and, and I was going to say, you know, going to the Yankees organization will do that to a player. That'll, that will humble a player pretty quickly, um, at least most players. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, you know, when I when I referred to him as, uh, you know, um, just a great individual within the organization, I really do think about the last couple of years. You know, the mm-hmm. selflessness to to take that step back and 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 you know unofficially retire and take that uh, position within the organization you know instead of continuing to force playing um and doing so rather quickly he only played in 15 games up to that point um i thought that was unexpected and um i think it helped him in um and fans like us to to accept him playing that uh this previous series um i think that did a lot for him um right i mean he he could have made it ugly uh he could have refused to retire he could have you know i mean he could have made it ugly and that that was always the concern um besides the fact that he was 44 and 45 and just couldn't play professional baseball anymore um there was is he gonna graciously walk away from this i mean i'm sure he's told the mariners that but uh, this is Ichiro we're talking about, and his reputation, his first time around in Seattle, it certainly left me wondering, is he going to make this transition like easy on them? Or is he going to say, no, no, I can still play, even though all the evidence in the world points to it and says, no, you can't. Um, but yeah, he he, uh, he handled it exactly how you would want him to, and... Uh, you know, it's just it's a little a little bit redemptive in my mind. Um, just me personally. I know there's a lot of people who think I'm crazy to even bring up the fact that Ichiro wasn't particularly well liked by his teammates, or I I don't want to say he wasn't well liked, but he there were there were frustrating moments with his teammates and his managers and with the franchise and things like that. Um, and you know, one thing we know about Seattle fans is they will always pick the player over the franchise. Um, so I don't I, I think the Mariners handled it well. Um, it would have been very nice to see him get a hit. Um, but man, when you watch him, I mean, he just looked so overmatched against really mediocre pitchers most of the time. And you're just yeah. it just it needed to be done. And uh, I think we all 
suspected that he was going to retire. Um, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a surprise at all when he actually did. It was, but it was still sad. It was, um, you know, it's regardless of how you feel about Ichiro, the teammate or whatever, he is one of the, uh, he is one of the best hitters to ever play baseball. And, uh, you know, anytime you see a guy like that, hang it up, it, it should be, uh, it's going to be a little emotional. So I thought the Mariners handled it well. Um, kudos to Ichiro for handling it well. And like you said, I hope that he finds a way to um, maybe find some joy outside of baseball, uh, but still open to the idea of uh, remaining with the Mariners in some kind of capacity. So, For sure. Yeah, and you know, I also wonder if, um, if the Mariners weren't going to Japan this year, if they didn't know that, would Ichiro still have retired or taken that step back into the the position with the organization had he known or had that not been the case or would he have pushed the envelope a little more because you know that would have been a pretty uh, underwhelming way to end a career mm-hmm. yeah i don't you mean like the mariners used that japan like hey if you step down now we'll make sure you play in that Japan series next year and you can retire there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I think I would like to think that Ichiro uh, wouldn't have had to be more or less coerced like that, but uh-huh. uh, I don't know. It, it's definitely possible. It does seem very fitting for Ichiro to go out, uh, play his last, his last professional game in the country where he became a star for the city where he became, uh, you know, the global phenomenon that he was for, you know, six or seven years. Yeah. So let's go ahead and let's talk about, um, the actual game itself. Uh, we got to see the day or at least the regular season debut of Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, what were your takeaways from, uh, Yusei's first outing? Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he looked pretty solid, you know, had some command issues. Uh, clearly the nerves, uh, were there. I mean, you think about, uh, you think about it, you know, Kikuchi, you know, Ichiro was Kikuchi's hero growing up. He's, he's making his MLB debut in Ichiro's final game in Japan. Um, there's a lot going on there emotionally for, for Kikuchi. And obviously you saw the tears flow at, at the end and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I think, um, with all of that, um he pitched really well i you know i i think when you take all those things into consideration he couldn't have pitched a better game you know again the command issues he wasn't able to um put away a lot of hitters uh early in counts you know his pitch count went up pretty high uh pretty fast um but he uh, he responded well. He responded well. He got into trouble a couple times, came back. Um, you know, obviously it would have been uh, better if he was able to finish that fifth inning. Uh, but um, I believe it was Chris Davis who got the RBI off of him. Correct? Uh, or was it yeah. Yeah. I'm so Chris Davis. Yeah. So um, you know, unfortunately, there couldn't get Chris Davis out. Couldn't finish the inning. Um, but yeah, he had what three strikeouts, um, just gave up the one run. The other, uh, run that was credited to him was unearned because Jay Bruce dropped the, uh, 
the throw from Elias. Um, yeah, I, I but I I really I was impressed. Uh, he looks like he has the potential to be dominant at times. Um, I don't think he'll consistently be a dominant pitcher, but you know the, I think you said this uh, a couple podcasts ago. He could be that guy that can just randomly shut out a team um, mm-hmm. every you know m- once every month. Or something. Uh, he he's got that ability. I just I don't know if he'll be able to carry that um, game to game. But yeah, he he looks strong, and I was I was very impressed with how he handled it. Right, he'll have to get more efficient with his pitches. Um, there were just there were times where he could throw the pitch wherever he wanted, um, and then he'd go through like a fifteen pitch stretch where he just couldn't. I mean, if he was throwing strikes, they were by accident. You know, it's just not a skill set um, or just not a great display of uh, what we know to be pretty good command. Um, and like you mentioned, there was a lot of uh, extracurriculars, let's call it in his first start. Um, and when you factor all that in against a pretty good lineup with a bunch of uh, really strong right-handed bats, um, I, thought, I thought he threw well. So, um, you know, there was, there's a few things you need to work on. Like we mentioned the, the uh, efficiency and all that stuff. Um, doesn't get any easier when you come on to face the, uh, the Boston Red Sox in your, uh, MLB debut. Yeah. So, um, we'll see, uh, we'll see how all that, uh, how all that plays out. But, uh, we got to see some of his better, uh, got to see a really nice breaking ball to get a, his first strikeout, I believe it was. Um, yeah. so we'll see how, we'll see how, uh, he does in his second start around, uh, like I said, the one thing I do like is that he was uh, very willing to pitch inside to righties. Uh, we saw him roll that uh, that cutter out there quite a bit um, yeah. off the inside corner. Um, right. So yeah, overall, I thought I thought there was encouraging. I don't think he's going to be much more than a um, five and fly type of guy, uh, and that that has a lot to do with managing pitch count and all that stuff. So in addition to his uh, his random starts where he'll go one inning um, and come out of the game. I think it's going to be a lot of five-inning outings um, a few, with a handful of six-inning outings, and I would be, uh, I'd be pretty surprised if we see more than one or two starts where he goes more than seven um, just to manage pitch count and uh, innings here in his first year. So, uh, But all that aside, I, I thought he threw the ball pretty well. Um, and I think it's, I think it's important that we've already seen that even when he doesn't have maybe his best command or he doesn't have his best fastball, cause he was sitting like at 90 miles an hour and we know he can hit 93, 94, but even yeah. without the command and the great fastball velo, he still got big league hitters out. And that, that to me is very encouraging. So, uh, I, I thought it was, uh, like I thought it was encouraging. So, uh, we'll see how he does against Boston on Friday. Again, that's, that's not an easy lineup at all either. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm excited to watch him uh, go to work against that uh, that Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Andrew Benatendi turn. So um, that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty uh, pretty interesting, and we haven't really talked about this a lot. That the Mariners are opening their season against the defending world champions. Um, that is a uh, it's a pretty tough test to start yeah. your season out. And uh, but it'll be interesting to see how Marco and um, you say uh, fair against this lineup um, back to back days. Uh, 
And also, you know, um, going uh, uh, from an offensive side, you know, getting to see this lineup against Chris Sale, David Price, Nathan Avaldi, um, and I would assume Eduardo Rodriguez will start the the fourth game. Porcello, or Porcello, yeah. One of uh, them. That, yeah, that um, that rotation is stacked. Jeez, uh, <laughs> it's a good yeah, team. So, yeah, it's a really good team. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, this uh, the Mariners were able to uh, to have one of their best series of the year last year against the Red Sox at you know then named Safeco. Um, so you know maybe it'll be a maybe it'll be a fun one again to open the year. But um, it's going to be four games, four really tough games. Um, but I'm excited to see see how that goes. Yeah. Well, thankfully they already got two in the bank, so uh, just find a way to take one from the Red Sox, and you're at 500. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, anyways, uh, before we completely move on from that, uh, the Japan series, uh, what did you think of the bullpen on night two? Um, I, you know, I said this in in uh, my reaction article. Uh, other than uh, Dan Altavilla uh, blowing the uh, blowing the lead, um, they look really nice. Uh, honestly, I've been really impressed with Zach Roscup and Hunter Strickland and um, Matt Festa looked really good in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, through two scoreless innings going into the ex- uh, going into extras, uh, yeah, I've been I've been mildly impressed in the first two games. Um, obviously, those are just two games, um, and a bullpen is you know a ticking time bomb basically. No matter how you look at <laughs> at any of them <laughs> right but uh but uh you know it's a uh, they they've looked solid and i think there's a lot of um a, a lot to be excited about you know cory garen looked pretty pretty nice in the uh in the first game um and then uh yeah i already mentioned zach Roscup, but he's looked really good he looked really good last night against the padres um again um yeah so overall i'm uh i'm i'm fairly impressed and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing more yeah, I, I would agree. Um, like I said, I think um, Ross Cup lost his command there for a little while. Uh, comes back, gets a big strikeout of uh, big strikeout of Chris Davis um, to get that. That game was a into horrible action. at bat, by the way. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, one of the worst. You, that was D Gordon esque. Um, yeah. It it was bad, but it benefited the Mariners. So uh, sucks to suck, I guess. Um, <laughs> But yeah, overall, I thought the bullpen looks good. Hunter Strickland looks great early in the year. Um, nailed down two saves without really any like doubt. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the bullpen is going to be a work in progress. Uh, the sixth and the seventh inning looks like those are going to be difficult. You kind of feel like they can piece their way through the eighth and the ninth uh, with decent, uh, you know, with Garen and Ross Cup and. Uh, and uh, Strickland, so it's really about finding that guy to, you know, get you to Strickland in uh, in the mix and match game. You can play with Garen and Roscup, and maybe that guy is Matt, Matt Besta. He looked really good. Um, I thought Ronis Elias looked really good as well. Um, I know the final line wasn't spectacular, but I, th- I thought he looked good. The changeup looked good. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe there's a bit more upside to this bullpen um, than we previously thought. Obviously, Dan Altavilla was uh, shipped back to Tacoma. Um, 
it was pretty much either do that or DFA Rumbelow. Um, so we'll see if Rumbelow can work out his uh, his uh, issues. But I don't know there, there's a little bit of upside in this bullpen. I still think it's going to be bad. Um, I think it's going to blow you know more than a handful of leads, um, and that's okay because if like the best case scenario is probably the reason you're not you know a 500 team is because of your bullpen like that's probably best case scenario long term um but yeah i thought the bullpen was fine um it's about i i don't know again aside from the two terrible performances by one by altavilla one by rumbelow the rest of it looks you know passable so i'm excited to see the rest of that um and also real fast just uh you mentioned the uh, the rotation for the Red Sox. Um, just got uh, a tweet from uh, Pete Abraham. Uh, he says the Red Sox rotation is set to start the season. It'll be Sale, Ivaldi, Rodriguez, Porcello, and then Price. Um, okay. So the Mariners will miss David Price. <clears throat> um, That's interesting. That's interesting. I thought Price would be the number two. Yeah, it sounds like Price may not be like 100% ready. Like he might need Ooh. another week, so that would be why they would push him. They, he says he's going to go three or four innings today, so I'm guessing he'll probably only be able to go like five on mm-hmm. his first start. Um, so it might be that they're just trying to get an extra turn through the rotation. Um, but e- either way, uh, the Mariners uh, will miss David Price. Yeah, and they'll have their work cut out for them either way. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll go ahead and we'll jump into that uh, opening series now. Since we've already talked about it a little bit um, in terms of pitching matchups, uh, but now that we know what the Red Sox uh, match up or what the Red Sox are throwing out there, the Mariners are going to match. Uh, we have we have uh, pitching uh, we have pitching probables for the entire series. So it looks like it'll be Sale versus Marco, Ivaldi uh, versus Kikuchi. Then it'll be uh, Mike Leak versus uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. And then it'll be uh, Wade LeBlanc versus Rick Porcello. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what do you uh, – is there I mean, any of those matchups that you're particularly interested to watch? Uh, I want to see Wade LeBlanc against this team again. Because uh, Wade LeBlanc like, has his best start of the year last year against uh, the Red Sox. At, like at, seven and two thirds shutout ball or something like that. Yeah, and he he had a, a no hitter or one hitter through seven, I believe. I think they took him out after he gave up his second hit. Um, that game was awesome. That's back when we were thinking, oh wow, we're we're hot stuff. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually excited to see how uh, how LeBlanc does against uh, against this team, uh, especially on Sunday. I'm gonna be wearing those uh, the cream uh, the cream uniforms. I, I assume they're doing that again this year. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's gonna be a tough series to even get one win out of. Um, but it's the beginning of the season. Baseball is baseball. You never know. Um, but obviously it's not looking great opening the season against the defending world champs. Um, I don't know. What do you, is there anything you're looking forward to? Um, the, uh, I guess I would say the, uh, the second matchup there, uh, yeah. Um, Evaldi of course had the huge, uh, 
he had the huge uh, postseason um, after having a very nice, uh, good uh, regular season. But he was dominant in the postseason. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how he looks. And obviously, you know, we just talked about seeing Kikuchi go up against Betts and Martinez and uh, Benatendi and Bogarts and all those power bats. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he handles them as well. So uh, I think that's kind of the pitching matchup, just from a pure uh, stuff and all that type of all that type of uh, business. I, I think that's a good matchup to watch there. Um, in terms of uh, like which one in terms of like which one um, the Mariners have the best chance of winning. Uh, it, it's, it's, I don't know, probably it's LeBlanc versus uh, Porcello as weird as that sounds, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. I, maybe they have better success against the righties. They are a little more right-handed heavy this year, but I don't know. It's, Obviously, it's not uh, great matchups for. Uh, it's yeah, it's just it's not it's not a great matchup for the Mariners. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that and that's kind of going to be the story for uh, for a lot of these series this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mariners are are just um, they aren't going to match up very well with a lot of teams, um, but. Um, you know they didn't really match up well with the with the A's. I thought going into the series, though, you know the A's have a terrible pitching staff. Um, well, rotation, and um, but even then, I, I expected them to uh, to struggle, um, especially against the uh, the A's offense. But um, they held their own, and I think they'll uh, they uh, they could surprise some people here and and hold their own again against the Red Sox. Um, Again, it's the first series of the year. Uh, the you know the the Red Sox they're human. Um, they still have to get into the full swing of things. Um, so it's possible that the the Mariners could sneak a game or two um, out of the series. Uh, it's possible that they could. Um, you know, if Marco has a solid solid enough start and outlast. Uh, you know, and is able to to give the Mariners you know five six strong innings scoreless ball. They could hang around in that sale game. Um, and uh, try to you know sneak a sneak a run or two off of either Sale, which is unlikely, but maybe their their bullpen. That's the one thing about the Red Sox; uh, their bullpen isn't fantastic this year. Obviously, they don't have Craig Kimbrell anymore. They're going to be going with Matt Barnes, who's okay. Um, so if you can get to their bullpen, you might be able to do a little bit of damage there. Uh, so it'll be interesting to uh, to see how these Red Sox starters uh, fare against this, this Mariner lineup. And if uh, the Mariners are able to, um, to get deep into that bullpen and, and try to uh, take advantage of that, because that's really just the one weakness of this team. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a series where uh, controlling the zone very much uh, could come into play, especially early in the season. You try to get pitch counts up. Uh, get to the bullpen, and I'm sure the Red Sox have the exact same strategy um, with the Mariners. So, uh, like I said, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, stranger things have happened. Last year, Felix outdueled Corey Kluber on opening day. So, I mean, yep. it's it's baseball. Anything can happen. They won that game uh, two to one, I believe. So, yep. um, we'll just see how it goes. It's either way. It's exciting to have baseball back um, on. A, uh, a regular basis uh you know basically 
now until the all-star break there's baseball regular season baseball every day and then so yeah more or less there's regular season baseball every day between thursday and october 1st like (laughs) it's it's we we made it through the uh the dark winter we're we're here and I'm, i'm excited to watch this uh this new group of guys on an assistant basis and uh you know, I I still think that they're going to surprise some people with uh, how competitive they are and how uh, I, I I don't know, man. I feel like like the Vegas Vegas put the over under at like seventy one and a half. Uh, I'm taking the over all day, every day on that. Um, there's just there's too much talent for this to be a, a ninety loss team. So um, we'll see how it goes. I'm just I'm really excited and pumped up for uh, for baseball to be here on a uh, really a full time basis. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that should about do it for us. Uh, We are going to take a quick break. And then on the other side, we'll be joined by Brian Nemhauser from Hawk Blogger. Uh, So we'll see you then. Stay tuned. And we are back. Back everyone, welcome back to the Soto Mojo podcast. Colby and I are now joined by Brian Nemhauser of Hawk Blogger. You may know him as the founder, editor, and lead writer of Hawk Blogger. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How's it going? How is your Tuesday? And uh, how is the uh, the off season treating you? <laughs> wow, you're kicking it off. Yeah, I, it's it's good. Thank you guys for having me. Um, it's always fun to talk uh, Mariners. Uh, been a been a fan for a long time and uh what most people probably don't know is that uh i almost started i had a mariners blog started before i had my seahawks blog started and had to kind of make a sophie's choice and and ended up deciding to stick with my mariners or my uh seahawks blog so (laughs) mariners were were my one of my first major obsessions and uh i'm happy to always spend some time chatting about them yeah. So, you know, right now there's kind of a divide going on between Mariners fans, you know, with this season, uh, you know, one side is unhappy with the uh, the direction that they uh, that Jerry DePoto and, and Scott Service have taken uh, the ball club. And, you know, one side is uh, appreciative of them kind of accepting their own mediocrity and trying to do something different about it. Um, you know, kind of what line do you fall in? Yeah, um, I think that just from a general roster management standpoint in almost any sport, uh, but especially baseball, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence to say that you, you do have to kind of tear down to the studs to, to really build up your farm system. And if you want to have lasting, um, you know, sustaining contending then you need those young players that you brought up through the system and and uh can take advantage of so i think that's all sound logic i think where i struggle and i think other folks struggle as well is just that the the trust has been eroded so much like it's been so long and there's been so many uh kicks at the can and they've just almost all been really poorly thought through and there is some question for me about whether they got maximum talent back for some of the talent that they exported. Um, some of that was just contract based, but um, you know, and they had to, had to do that. But in any event, you know, 
I hope it works out. I can't say I'm like completely optimistic at this point, but but I'll I'll be there to follow along. Yeah, and um, what what I you know we've we've had a huge debate on on Twitter with some of our readers about Felix and what to do with Felix. Uh, Colby and I are are very uh, anti having Felix on the team at this point. What what are your thoughts with with Felix? You know, seeing that he is been awful in the spring and has statistically been a bottom five starting pitcher of those who've qualified over the last three years. What's kind of your thought on how to handle him going into his last season? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that that he's he's not a value add um, uh, on the staff right now, at least as in a starting role. I do have some question if if he could get his head around it whether he would have some value as a in the relief type role um but in any event you know i just kind of question the upside of moving on from him now like if he's ready to move on and he believes he should be doing more than what the team's willing to have him do fine but you know he's <laughs> he basically signed on with this team and this organization through you know, you could say through thick and thin, but he's just signed on through thin and thin and thin. Um, and mm-hmm. and I don't think it's asking too much to, you know, ride out one more year with him. Like, what's what's the downside? This team is not going to contend for anything. So, like, that's that's kind of my point of view. I think there's some respect and some integrity about how you run the organization that that matters for the guys that come later. Um, so that that's kind of where I fall on it. Sure, sure. Um... I also I, I wanted to to congratulate you on on your son uh, getting accepted to Oregon. So congratulations <laughs> to the. Thank you. Yeah, is that really something worth congratulating though, Oregon. Like, <laughs> All right, I, you know, <laughs> I grew up down in Portland, and and I was the odd kid who loved the Seahawks and the Mariners. The Mariners were like terrible, 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 like <laughs> worse than they've been. Even like this is back in the. 80s and, and 90s, right? Early 90s, um, before they got good. And uh, I loved the Huskies, and I hated the Ducks. And uh, so I, I didn't go to University of Washington, I, I, you know, but uh, I've always been a Husky fan. And uh, to see my son put on duck gear, uh, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of inbounds from my old high school friends who uh, are loving every minute of it. Yeah. And it's also your your son's birthday, correct? It so, is. Yeah. Happy birthday to him. Thanks. Thanks very much. Yeah, he turns eighteen today. It is it is surreal for sure. That's that's crazy. Yeah. So so a lot of stuff going on in uh, <laughs> in your personal Always. life, and then uh, yeah. So let you know. Obviously, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk some Seahawks. Um, you know, we we tend to do that pretty much at the end of every episode. Uh, we just can't help it. We we love the team, and and uh, you know we tell our listeners if you don't like it, turn it off. <laughs> We're talking about it. So um, yeah. So you know, how do you feel this this off season is going so far? You know, they haven't made a lot of moves, but also they've made some pretty smart decisions. Uh, you know, getting KJ back, getting Michael Kendricks, and and all that goes in with his sentencing and everything. Um, you know, amongst others with the Eopati and Fluker, uh, what's kind of your, your, um, your outlook on, on what's happened so far and what 
um, is to come because obviously they have a lot of stuff to to do still. Yeah, it's it's um, it's been a really interesting off season, right? I mean, um, it really depends on what you're looking for um, in a in an off season uh, when you're evaluating something like this for the Seahawks. I. I tend to believe that if you're at one of the teams that's spending big money in free agency, that you're not a team that's close to, to doing something interesting. Um, that's usually a right. sign of disrepair um, and how you've managed your roster. And it's pretty rare for you to actually get good value out of day one or even day two free agents um, in the NFL. There's been some exceptions, but people talk about Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill back in, in 2000, uh, well, it was the 2012 offseason before the 2013 season. But that was a very, very unique offseason, and those guys had a very depressed market. And I don't think you'll ever see something like what the Seahawks were able to do there again. Um, so, so long story short, um, you know, I really am quite optimistic about how they've handled this, this offseason. Um, the only move that, that I'd really criticize is this spending meaningful money on a kicker. Um, that's already had the effect of turning what would have been a sixth-round compensatory pick into a seventh-round compensatory pick for next year. Um, that's the difference between you know Jacob Martin, who was drafted in the sixth round last year, and Alex Magoo, who was drafted in the seventh round. So, yeah. you know, I, people people poo-poo that, but I just think that there's a lot of other ways to get free agent, you know, to get kickers. And, um, you know, I don't think that Jason Myers is is guaranteed by any stretch to be uh, as good as he was last year. So that's the one that I have a little bit of a, a question about. Let sure. me jump in on this Jason Meyer thing real fast. Uh, because I, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I there's no guarantee that he's going to be as good as he was last year. It was the first year he was really all that good. <laughs> like, uh, so I get all that. But when you mention Alex or Jacob Martin versus Alex Magoo, isn't it also pretty much the difference between Jacob Martin and Puna Ford, who was an undrafted free agent? Like, we, I, I understand the, the comp picks are valuable and all that stuff. And I'm totally for collecting as many as you can. But we are talking about a six round comp pick. I mean, what's is there a significant difference between that and an undrafted free agent? Yeah, I well, I, I guess I'd, I'd turn that back around. Like, um, are we sure there's a significant difference between Jason Myers and an undrafted free agent? No, there you isn't. Know, like, <laughs> so, so what you're doing here is guaranteeing yourself a loss of draft status sure. for what I think is a questionable upside. And mm-hmm. I, I think if you look at the upside potential of, you know, uh, any number of other, I mean, they had Myers in camp last year yep. for nothing. Right. And so, and actually, and I will say this, I think they made the right choice based on performance. I was, you know, at those practices and Myers was way less consistent than Janikowski was. Um, and had le- a lesser leg as well on kickoffs and in other situations. So mm-hmm. I think they made the right choice last year, but again, you can get guys like that. Steven Hauschka was a cast off. It was his third time getting cut. Like, it's very common and there's a lot of kickers out there. So um, I, I just, anytime you are literally like going to take, spend real money, it's not just the pick, spend real money on a free agent kicker and um, have some negative draft compensation issues. I just think it's an unwise investment. I think there's other more 
upside uh, ways to to play that specific position on the roster. If Jason sure. Meyer was a, if Jason Meyer is as good as he was last year, is that worth a six round pick? Um, obviously the money pay, plays a big role as well with the cap hit. Yeah, and yeah, and I also I'll answer and, and I'll give some clarification though. So like, not to get too pedantic, but like there's the process for how you make the decision, and then there's the result. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the process that they went through to make this decision is flawed, regardless of how he performs next year. Um, if you're asking me if you could guarantee that you could acquire somebody who could play at the level that Myers did last year for both the price and the 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 pick um, loss that that he's costing the team, um, is it worth it? Mm, maybe <laughs> uh, right. like for me it's a maybe because again you're comparing like there's nothing to me that says you wouldn't find someone else that was capable of the same thing for far lesser cost so uh that that's i'm not trying to cop out that's just kind of where I, I value kickers very lowly um right. uh, i think i think that uh mike michael dixon was absolutely worth the pick that he was taken at and i was supportive of when they took him and why and i can go into all those reasons maybe if you wanted to but um i just think michael dixon is going to be a hall of fame player that is completely changes the game for the defense and the offense i just don't think jason myers is the same category of kicker Sorry for making you spend five minutes talking kickers. You know, I, I am I'm on an island, as I usually am on some of these things. Like, there's a lot of people that are like, our kickers have cost us games. This is What do you mean? Just let us be happy about it. And they can. I just, I, I think if you're expecting to, because we spent money on Jason Myers, that our kicking woes are over, I think the people are in for a potentially sad, sad time coming up. Yeah, I am. Um... I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, the idea behind it. <laughs> I mean, it's Jason Myers. I know he was an All Pro kicker last year, but the the money involved and all that, I'm not I'm not sure. I you know I was kind of interested in seeing what Sam Ficken could do. Uh, he looked okay and and uh, supplementing for um, uh, Zerline for the Rams. I you know whatever. <laughs> it's it's a kicker. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, right. At the yeah. end of the day, uh, yeah. I think, like, if you look at, I mean, this, some of those smart moves you guys talked about, Kendricks. I think that's a super smart move. Um, yeah. Set aside, you know, if you want to talk ethics and integrity, that's a separate conversation. We're just talking about talent acquisition and cost of acquisition and risk profile. Sure. That's a great move for the team. Um, I was a little surprised about bringing KJ back. I think that um, I have questions about how much treads left on those tires. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I was fine with everybody that they let walk at the prices. There's not a single Seahawk that walked that I would have kept for the contract that that person signed, including Earl, um, as much as I love Earl. So, um, uh, you know, and I really I I think that the chances that the two guards they signed, if they can stay healthy, which is a huge if, um, I think gives the Seahawks some potential to be uh, even better on offense than they were last year. Yeah, and you know, looking at the linebacker situation as well, they're still looking at Nick Perry. They're still looking at Aaron Lynch. Do you think that's uh, more uh, insurance for for what's going on with uh, Kendricks, or um, is that just depth and pass rush? And 
Yeah, uh, I, I think of Perry, you know, talked about as a linebacker, but that's more in a 3-4 kind of situation. I see right, him as yeah. an edge player. So he's a pass rusher. He's a rotational pass rusher for the Seahawks. He'd be what they call a Leo, which is, you know, the Cliff Averill classic position with Frank Clark has played a lot recently. And, you know, he'd be, I think he's a great potential rotational pass rusher. Um, the guy's had double-digit sacks in the last few years. Um, his problem has been staying healthy. And so I'm always a fan of um, taking a, you know, rolling the dice on a pass rusher who's proven that they have upside. He's still young. Um, and if the only real question is injury, then if, if things work out, um, then you've got a really, really good player at a, a really big discount. So I, I love moves like that. I, I really hope that, that they invest something like that and in, in something, someone like Perry. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, we kind of got a an issue with the wide receiver core right now. You know, Doug Baldwin's going to have the uh, the hernia surgery. Uh, they've brought uh, Jordy Nelson in, which we've heard nothing about uh, since that one report. Um, they're also uh, have a meeting scheduled with Paris Campbell, and they were I heard something about they were looking at Debo Samuel. So, as, assuming that they're going to trade down a, a, at least once. Uh, in this draft, safe bet. You think that, yeah. Uh, and, and, the, and, you know, they'll probably trade down twice. Um, just that's what history, <laughs> you know, says. Uh, but uh, is the first pick possibly wide receiver? They haven't been afraid to spend first round picks on skill position in the past, which hasn't really worked out for them. But <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, the highest draft pick they've spent on re- receiver, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, is Golden Tate in the second round. Um, they also did Paul Richardson in the second round. Um, so they have, I mean, that's as high as they've gone. Um, generally, first round, if they're doing first round picks, it's on offensive line, defensive line, um, which I'm actually a big proponent of um, about where to spend your, your uh, first rounders. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it could be. I will say that on one hand, the, the team played pretty much without Doug Baldwin most of last year. He got a little bit more part of the offense in the last quarter of the season, and he's a huge difference maker, there's no doubt. But Tyler Lockett stepped up a lot. I think David Moore showed glimpses and then disappeared, and I think that, to me, that's a sign of, of a, a heart that's starting to beat and will probably beat a little bit stronger next year. So I think Moore's uh, on the come. And and then they've got to figure out what they want to do with the rest. Um, and, and they absolutely need to add to the mix. Um, so, uh, look, I, I'd like to see them move on from Jaron Brown and, and use that cap space and try someone else because I just don't think he he showed out very much. And I think that they can't do much worse. So, um, you know, if it's a Jordy Nelson, fine. I, I I'm not particularly attracted to big names. I'm more attracted to guys that I think have some upside and can maybe grow with the team. But, uh, you know, I think there's a real chance that Doug Baldwin won't be available. And so the team really has to think about how they want to handle that. And um, if Tyler Lockett's going to become their primary slot receiver, there's a trickle-down effect, and they need some other, you know, um, guys on the edge um, to to, to complement what what Tyler would do in, in this slot. Yeah, so I 
want to talk about your podcast real quickly, the Hawk Blogger podcast. Uh, I'm a weekly listener. Uh, I'm very much involved in the whole, you know, community and everything uh, with that. And uh, cable, uh, you know, you and I have a mutual friend in Cable Thanos, Josh. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, we uh, we we play Smash Bros from time to time. We uh, we have a group with uh, with Fluker going on, all that, which is pretty fun. And uh, <laughs> you know, I got I got to ask you: Can we start a GoFundMe to get Jeff Simmons some real internet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That might be like some kind of international crisis that needs to needs attention. I mean, Jeff. Well, here's the thing: I'm in I'm in Toronto too. Oh, well, see, now we, we need you to speak up a little bit more then because, you know, Jeff's always blaming it on, you know, Toronto weather. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that's, that's a fair question. Um, he does provide some comic relief with his, his uh, freezing moments on the pod, but he has such good things to say. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I think you should, you should definitely raise it, raise it with him and we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> And so, you know, I got to ask you about Cable Thanos. Uh, you know, he pretty much changed how uh, just everything about the Seahawks season, really. Just put a whole positive spin on shoddy and <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of just the offensive woes and the whole turnaround. It didn't put a very, you know, very positive spin on a... Uh, on Seahawks Twitter, which can be pretty negative, as you know, from time to time. Uh, you know, how has that been with with him and, and becoming a part of Hawk Blogger and everything uh, and him becoming kind of a worldwide sensation with the with the memes with uh, within the NFL community? Yeah, Josh is fantastic. I mean, he's a you know, I've told him many times that he's a singular talent and that uh you know while we enjoy having him around and and contributing to to hawk blogger uh you know i'm really looking forward to the points where he graduates and and uh is creating content you know for all sorts of folks like he did for the nfl this you know this at the end of this off season uh, at the end of this season and um one of the things that I really love about what Josh does besides the fact that he's funny and talented and all that stuff, but like kind of what you were mentioning there, there's this, this tension right now between uh, science and, and getting down to data and analysis and what is believed to be like truth about sport. And then there's, what I think brought everyone to the sports in the first place, which is the emotion and the passion and the community. And Josh is all about that. And what he creates is about that. And I think it's what connects people back to um, the team and to each other. And I think that we need so much more of that. And honestly, as someone who's pretty analytical and does enjoy looking at the analytics space, I think that it's really unfortunate that the analytics sides of things tends to be so scornful and um, uh, patronizing in some ways to, to people that disagree or see it differently or don't have all the information they do. And, and so, you know, I'm really hoping one of the things, you know, that we really try on the pod is like, there's people that are like, why do you have Evan on there? <laughs> why do you have Nathan <laughs> on there? Like, 
And and they're like, there's some people that are like, why do you have you on there? Like, they, they like the other stuff. <laughs> and part of what we're trying to do with the pod is just represent that, like, we can have different points of view. We're bound together by the sport and by our passion for the team. And to try to find ways to have those conversations, um, you know, with some amount of humor and, and uh, humanity. Um, so I know that sounds really, like, heavy, but I, I just... I think for people that are on Twitter, it really does get a little bit um, depressing at times with with the the tone up there. And, and I'm hoping that we're helping at least create some space where we, we don't have that kind of tone. Right. Uh, so in, I know in, def in, in defense oh, sure, of some yeah, of the analytics guys real fast, though, uh, just from a baseball perspective for me, I was an an I'm an analytics guy in baseball and all that stuff. There is a certain group of people who just like to pretty much attack analytics uh, so there, there is like there is definitely a group of analytical people in baseball who are snarky and, uh, you know, they don't engage and they just want to feel superior to other people. But a lot of that comes from this idea for years and years and years. They were told to, you know, sit down and shut up. And uh, I, I don't know exactly how the analytics revolution is working in football. Obviously, we're seeing more of it. Um, but. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, uh, but just in just in some of their defenses, there is a lot of uh, them being attacked, them being you know quote unquote attacked uh, from the other side as well. But yeah, I, I agree. There's like there's there's a middle ground. It's it's a sport that we all love. Let's enjoy it and let's not yell at each other for having different points of views. Yeah, and and I know you guys are probably running short on time, but I have a few more minutes anyway. But. Uh... It's an interesting comment about the baseball stuff, and and I like I I definitely agree that that baseball, basketball are two great examples where analytics community has has brought new perspectives to the sport and has made a massive difference in how the sports played, how rosters are managed, like how players are seen, everything. Like it's had a huge change, and and so you know I think it is important to kind of respect that and understand it. The other side, like flipping back to the Mariners for a second, like I would go to different sites, um, which I won't name because I don't know if they're uh, competitors for you guys. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I go to different sites and it just felt like the fun was completely sucked out of the sport yeah. for me. Like I, I couldn't talk about RBIs and batting average and, you know, uh, even OPS was like not enough. And and so it just made it like not mine anymore. And mm -hmm. I just think there's got to be a balance. And if we're going to get to a point where the way to win is to hook it up to a, you know, an algorithm that spits out exactly what to do, when and why, I, I just don't know that that's the right, like, this is sports. Like, maybe that's not the best thing for the, for the sport is for it to be that predictable and that formulaic. So I don't know. There's a larger question there um, just about how to keep sports lighthearted. Right. right. The drama of sports comes from the athletes, not the not the statistics and all that stuff. So, yeah, I totally get what you're going with there, what you're saying there. Um, I, I think there's a conversation like I, yeah, yeah, I think there's place for both for both, uh, you know, both sides of things. And you just kind of you talk and I, I, I consider myself fluent in uh, in I don't have a term for like the non analytics baseball people. Like I can talk batting average and RBI. Like if that, yeah. I mean, those aren't my favorite stats, but I can talk about that. That's fine. Like I'm not gonna, and I don't know who attacked you for OPS. That's a pretty solid stat. But I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just just one of those things. It's like you know, just 
I mean, man, it's a sport, man. It's supposed to be fun. Have fun, discuss it. And if you cross a line, I mean, don't, don't cross a line basically. Like just be respectful yeah. and let's, let's get, let's move on, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's wise, wise words. So before we let you go, um, let's get a little, uh, little prediction out of you for the, for the Mariners this year. What are you, uh, what are you feeling for the Mariners? Well, I mean, guys, guys, they're undefeated. They got the best record <laughs> majors. So that, that's, yeah, they're on pace to never lose again. Yeah. I, know I, mean, that. I mean, I don't know. Uh, whew. if they didn't have like super clashing magenta colors, <laughs> Stadium. I, I was I was meaning to ask you about that. I yeah, uh, I, I got quite the inbounds on that. That was funny. Um, I saw T Mobile had to say something to you. <laughs> yeah, I got T Mobile. I got their CEO talking to me. Like uh, I gotta say, like anyone, I work in for Adobe, and we like support every creative professional in the world. And uh, there's no side, and there's no visual designer that could tell me that those colors are meant to go together. But in any of them. <laughs> um. I don't know, guys. Uh, how many did they win last year? 89. 88, 89. 89. Um, what is like fan saying this year? Uh, I think they have them at 70, 75. I, I know Vegas has the over under at 71 and a half. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go optimistic because I think there's enough uh, reclamation projects that are going to hit this year that. Um, Let's say they shock the world and they, they win 80 games. Yeah. yeah. That's about That's, where we have them, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah we're right there with you. So, all yeah, right. We're, we're, we're a little more bullish on the Mariners. Uh, the same, uh, just when you compare stats and everything, especially with the lineup, they, um, they're actually in ways better than the, the lineup from last year if you, uh, if you dig deep enough. So, uh, they might shock some, uh, shock, uh, God, if I can talk, shock some people this year. Yeah, yeah. I a guy I really got my eyes on is Domingo Santana. I'd like to see love that. him. Yeah, I'd like love to see Domingo. What he can, uh, what he can do. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna let you go, but first, tell the people where they can find you at, where they can find the podcast. I know you got some things going on with your Patreon and everything. So uh, yeah, let them know about that. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter is where I mainly hang out. Um, and that's at Hawk blogger, all one word. And, um, then, uh, YouTube is where you can find our podcast, uh, when we go live, which is, and that the channel is just youtube.com slash Hawk blogger. Uh, and then the podcast can be found audio version, you know, pretty much anywhere, iTunes, uh, Google play, Spotify on down the list. So it usually gets posted the day after we do the, the live pod. And um, Facebook is slash Hawk Blogger, um, Instagram is Hawk Blogger. So like to be predictable that way. And then <laughs> Patreon, um, for people that don't know, um, uh, you know, I made the decision many years ago that, that I don't need any of the, the money from, from what I'm doing with Hawk Blogger. So uh, everything that we uh, make, we donate to charity and we've donated over $100,000 um, to charity uh about to donate our our new um sum this year which i'll be excited to do shortly and um if you want to sign up at patreon.com slash hawk blogger no surprise there uh you know we have a private facebook group where you can get access to me and a bunch of other folks on the team and talk talk hawks and um also there's the seahawks charity auction coming up and i do something for the patrons every year where 
uh, I have players and coaches call them, um, you know, so you can have conversations, you can get a voicemail message, uh, get a tweet from them, all this kind of stuff. So it's pretty fun and uh, try to give back to the community the way they give to us. So that's all. Really great. Thank you so much, Brian, for, for joining us today. I know it was a little, a little strange. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Happy to talk Mariners anytime. Uh, I can't, can't say I'll necessarily, uh, I'll always have strong opinions. I may not know every stat you're talking about at this point though. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for joining us. It was, it was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Uh, Bye-bye. Thanks. <laughs> So that was uh, that was Brian Nemhauser uh, with Hawk Blogger. We thank him again so much for for joining us today, and um, yeah, be sure to check out uh, his Patreon and the uh, Twitter account, and obviously his uh, his website. Uh, a lot of good Seahawk content on there if you want to keep up to date with all that. And um, yeah, so Colby, did you uh, did you enjoy that? That was pretty pretty different for our podcast, but it was uh, pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um... It's fun, you know, like like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know, we're not we're not robots who just sit in a closet and watch Mariners highlights all day. Uh, we, we have outside interest and one of them for both of us, at least, is uh, the Seahawks. And I, I think there's some value to having a a unified Seattle sports kind of community, um, because for the last few years, there really has been this weird kind of war between like Mariners fans and Seahawks fans. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to be a war of the minority. I think most Mariner fans are Seahawks fans and the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as it is in the social media era, the the uh, silent or the uh, the loud minority drowns out the uh, silent majority. But I, I just I never really understood this whole idea of like, you know, oh, I, I love the Mariners, but screw the Seahawks. Like, I, I don't get that. And it's not something that I ever want to be. Um I'm going to root for the Mariners. I'm going to root for the Seahawks. I'm going to root for the Sonics when they come back. I'll root for the NHL team. I'll root for, you know, I'm a UW fan, but they're out. Gonzaga's in right now. So I'll root for Gonzaga to win the national title. Um, you know, if WSU's in the Rose Bowl and UW isn't, I'll root for WSU. I just, I don't, you know, I just don't care. I think, I think, you know, Brian, he brought up a good point about like what draws us to sports is like the community and all that stuff. Right. And so, that if I mean I, I I will put anybody on this show who wants to talk Seattle sports in general, uh, whether it be Mariners or Seahawks or Huskies or whatever. Uh, it just it's really it's a really good reminder that uh, you know community nothing brings a community better or together better than sports. Nothing it nothing comes close. Right. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really happy to do this kind of cross platform thing. Uh, as often as we can if we can get you know matisse seibel on the podcast and he just wants to talk two three zone fine you guys (laughs) you guys don't like it like i like we said at the beginning you don't have to listen and we're fine if you don't we really are uh you know so uh i i I just i really hope you guys enjoy that and i hope you guys see why we do that on occasion i don't think we overdo it um i i but i think sprinkled in every once in a while it's it's a really effective tool to just kind of bring these different communities together and just kind of, you know, root for the same thing. So, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, even, even for me, uh, you know, I'm not a UW fan, uh, or even really a college sports fan. I, I mainly just watch bowl season and March madness. Mm -hmm. Uh, but 
you know, I, you know, I, all these people that we follow on, on Twitter or, you know, rooting for UW, obviously you're rooting for UW. I watched the game. I was rooting for UW, you know, that just to be a part of something and be a part of, uh, of a community is great. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate that so much, especially with Seattle sports, you know, Seattle sports is relatively small. You think about a lot of the, the markets out there, you know, right now, you have the three, well, you have the two major sports in, in MLB and NFL, you know, with the Seahawks and the Mariners, and then you have the MLS and you have the WNBA with the Storm and the Sounders. And I'm sure a lot of people will give me flack for for at least grouping the Sounders in there. But, um, you know, really there isn't a huge, uh, or you know, there isn't this wide span of of teams to follow there is you know this is a very tight-knit group right and we're not chicago we're not new york yeah we all collectively lost our basketball team and some of us have moved on and some of us you know a lot of us haven't and uh you know we're getting an nhl team which we haven't had since yeah well none of us were alive the last time seattle (laughs) had a had an nhl team so you know uh yeah so you know, obviously this community is certain it will, will grow more over time and has grown a lot. You know, obviously I'm not huge into this whole Seahawks bandwagon thing. I, I hate it. Uh, I always hated it. But, you know, obviously, you know, it did grow a little bit as the team got better. And that's fine. I, I don't think we should, um, you know. Uh, it's you the know, call. It's the calls into sports radio saying I've been a season ticket holder since 84. Like that means anything to any, nobody cares, dude. Yeah. Everyone's going, yeah. Everyone has to become a fan at some point, whether they become, you know, my wife, my wife and I started dating the year uh, in Russell Wilson's rookie year. Mm -hmm. And, and I, she had never watched a look of football. Now my wife is a huge Seahawk fan. You know, I got her into it and she became a fan. Like she watched intently the year they won the Super Bowl. That was the first year she watched intently. And that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with introducing people. It's kind of that hipster mentality, right? That oh I was I, there you know, first. I was there before yeah. it was cool. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's fine. Like we all like some of us did experience the dark ages. Some of us don't know what it's like to see the Seahawks suck. Yeah. You know, and some and a lot of us do. But it that doesn't take away from that, I don't think. And um yeah, you know, and I've had an interesting perspective on it because, you know, I left Washington when I was 12 years old, um, haven't been back since, uh, want to, but haven't. And, um, you know, the, the, you know, I use, uh, you know, friends and, and people that I just met, like whenever I would tell them I'm, I'm a Seahawk fan, they would think, oh, you're just a bandwagoner because you live in New Mexico or you're in Toronto, right? And uh, you're, you know, it's like, no, like I'm from the area. I've, you know, I lived there since I was a child. Like I did, I, I watched the, the Seahawks go four and 12 and see Nate Burleson tear his ACL in week one. And, you know, like I saw all that, like, you know, like all that garbage. And I saw all, you know, the, the games at Husky Stadium and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Trent Dilfer playing quarterback for the Seahawks and John Kitna. And geez, you know, it goes way back. Um, but, you know, everyone's going to have a different perspective. You know, and that's the thing is like I was born in the uh, late 90s. I didn't get to see the 95 season. 
you know, for the Mariners. I really didn't get to see A-Rod and Junior and Buner and all those guys play in their prime for the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Mariners that I grew up on were Ichiro and Boone and, and uh, Guillen and, and Freddie and um, Kaz and all those guys. You know, and that and that doesn't take away from uh, from my experience as a as a Mariner fan. It's just my experience is different than someone else's. And uh, yeah, and we all should collectively, you know, um, accept that from one another and and be uh, and just and collectively love these teams the way that we do. You know, instead of constantly going at each other and even, you know, we look at Brian and his site with with Evan and and, and Nathan Ernst and and, um, Jeff Simmons and all those guys. These guys get constantly attacked um, by Seahawks Twitter for for their opinions and everything. It's just and that's the thing. It's like it's just an opinion. And obviously, that's a much deep rooted problem that goes well beyond sports and everything. But. When you're a fan of something, and obviously you should, you know, you're not obligated to love every, you know, every person that loves the same things as you do. But it's there's a fine line, and uh, and Seahawks fans especially cross that line way too often, and Mariners fans do too, and it gets to the point where I don't know. Uh, Sports fans in general are crazy, but oftentimes Seattle sports fans act like they're from New York or from L.A. They're just overly critical of one another, the players, coaches, everything. I get the I get all the frustration, but really, especially when it comes to the Seahawks, you know, I I especially hate the way that Earl Thomas ended his career here. Mm-hmm. But still, Earl Thomas was an amazing safety. He is a once in a generation safety that graced. <laughs> Seattle sports with his presence. Right. He was amazing and he should be respected for that and nothing more. And yes, things are going horribly with Felix. And I don't believe that Felix should be on this team and neither do you. Does that mean that, does that mean that we think that Felix should be, you know, excuse my language, but shat upon just because he's, he's been bad the last three years. No, I don't think like his, his legacy should be, diminished because of that no and it's you criticize you can criticize any player um but i just and you know what sometimes it hurts and it takes a while to get over things uh but you know it just at the end of the day like richard sherman right now just cannot shut cannot stop talking about the seahawks uh he's basically the ex-girlfriend who's jealous at you know his his uh his new boyfriend is, or the old boyfriend is doing just fine without him. Um, but you know, and that, that sucks right now, but in what, in five years after he retires, are we not going to welcome him back to CenturyLink with a standing ovation and all that stuff? No, it's just, it is what it is. You know, these athletes are humans too. Um, they all deal with the same type of stuff we do just on a really on a national stage. Whereas we get to deal with a lot of our stuff in private. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. Um, you know, like I said, we're all guilty of it at some point, uh, saying something stupid or, uh, you know, like, I don't know, bashing somebody for their opinion and all that stuff, uh, aside from, you know, op- the obvious trolls and whatnot. Um, but we're all guilty of it. But it's just, you know, it's a good reminder that, hey, you know what? 
at the end of the day, we want the same thing. We just have different, uh, we just more or less, we have different way we want to see it done. And, uh, he said, I, I don't think that, I don't think that Felix should be on this roster, but also I don't have any issue with what, uh, Brian said about, you know, why not let him go out there and like, like, that's fine. That's, I, I, I understand that completely. Um, especially this year again, because they're not trying to win, um, or they're not trying to win the World Series, I should say. Um, right. So yeah, I just it's it's just a good reminder, I think, uh, that sports at the end of the day is supposed to be fun. Uh, and when you when you get into these conversations with it, cannot be fun. And I I know I've de- dealt with that uh, specifically on the uh, Dosoto account for Twitter. Um, I know you've dealt with it too. There have been people who have just. Uh, gotten so under our skin that we just usually mute them or block them or whatever. Um, because we're not here to deal with them. We're here to have fun and watch sports and root for the team we love and, and, uh, you know, try and try and give as much as we can to the community and, uh, go from there. So, um, I hope you guys enjoyed our part podcast, part, uh, Ted talk about (laughs) about Seattle sports. Uh, Um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. In conclusion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're running along here with our Ted talk, but uh, like I said, guys, I just, I think it's an important message that, um, you know, I just, let's just all get along. Let's have fun this season. Uh, I'm sure there will be debates. There'll be discussions. There'll be tough times. There'll be good times. But at the end of the day, at the, at the end of the day, it's baseball. The sun's going to rise again tomorrow. And uh, in game is one month away, so let's do this thing. Yeah. So, yeah, in game, man, that's awesome. That three hour movie, Jesus. <laughs> I, I'd, wa- I'd watch it if it was five. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's a lot of exciting things going on. I I love the spring. Um, you know, now that it's officially turned spring, it it it's just got that feel of of baseball and just mm-hmm. it, this is really like when the year begins to me and. Um, it's really exciting. You know, you got all the new movies coming out. You got baseball coming back. Um, you know, all of these like cool little conventions and, and stuff with companies announcing their new things and everything. It's just, it's so exciting. And the warm weather is starting to, to come and is on its way. And it, you know, well, depending on where you live here, it's still pretty cold, but <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's such a fun time and opening day kind of marks opening day to me is like new year's. It's like, it's just a, it's one of the best holidays imaginable to me. I just, I watch baseball all day. Um, I don't care who's playing. And uh, especially because, you know, usually the Mariners are playing the, the, the last, um, last game of the day. Um, And uh, it's just, it's, it's an incredible experience as a whole. It's um, opening day is just, there's no better feeling um, really to me. It's like, you know, as I've gotten older, it's kind of replaced Christmas, um, and just in terms of just excitement. Uh, but yeah, it's I'm really excited about Thursday, um, and I'm sure you are, and uh, everyone that listening is. You know, even even with all the people that have said, "Oh, I'm not going to go to the games, and I'm not going to support this team because they were so close last year, and you know now they're just tearing it down." Even those people, I'm sure, are excited deep down because there's just there's something magical about baseball, and there's 
something magical about opening day. Something magical about sports in general. So yeah, uh, I, I guess we'll probably we'll just wrap that up. We're at about an hour and fifteen minutes now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think we got some uh, some good discussions here, and of course we'll be back next week. Um, it'll be us, and we'll be talking about uh, like actual baseball games, like real ones, yeah. and important ones. It's also uh, I should also mention um, that starting on Monday we are going to go to our three shows per week format. Um, basically the midweek show, which will be up on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, uh, will be just like this. It'll be our long format hour, hour and a half, um, somewhere in there. That's, that's going to stay. We'll talk about big picture things there. Um, however, we are adding a show on Mondays or possibly Sunday afternoon, depending on our schedules, um, to preview the upcoming series for the beginning of the week. And then we will be having a show on, uh, Thursday or Friday, again, depending on schedules and that type of stuff, uh, previewing the weekend series coming up. Uh, those will be shorter. Those will be shorter podcasts. Usually only one of us will be just kind of going over, you know, pitching matchups and all that stuff. Um, but we will be here three times a week now, starting on Monday, um, as well. So, uh, make sure you guys join or make sure you guys uh, follow us on Twitter at Soto Mojo FS. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Soto Mojo. Uh, visit the website, sotomojo.com, read our content. A lot of good stuff coming up with opening day right around the corner. And as always, guys, uh, comment, subscribe, let us know what you like and don't like about the podcast. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you stuck around this long, gold star. So uh, <laughs> thank, again, thank you guys so much. And uh, I will see you in another life. Peace. Peace.